The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The advice given on this show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended as investment advice. Please consult a financial advisor before undertaking any investment decisions. While the show's producers have tried to provide accurate and timely information and have relied on sources they believe to be reliable, the show may include inadvertent technical or factual inaccuracies. Ken Smith and Ethan Broga do not warrant the accuracy or completeness of the materials provided and expressly disclaim any warranties or merchantability or fitness for a particular purpose. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith, Certified Financial Planner and CEO of Seattle-based wealth management firm, Empirical Wealth Management. Empirical Radio is designed to share investment and financial planning ideas with you based in empirical and academic evidence. Hopefully, you'll take away nuggets to help you make a lifetime of smarter financial decisions. I also have a co-host named Ethan Broga. Ethan? Hey, Ken. Good to see you. (laughs) Good to see you too, buddy. He's a certified financial planner with a master's degree in financial planning and the head of our financial planning committee, as well as one of our professional lead financial advisors here in our office in Seattle. Mm-hmm. He does top drawer work. Well, Ethan, uh, today we're going to go through, uh, start with a mail bag with some questions that we've received. Uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit, because we're, we're uh, into the new year here, mm-hmm. and um, want to talk about evaluating performance a lot of new year's resolutions a lot of times people are looking at their portfolios or they take the opportunity of the new year to look at their portfolio and map out their strategy so uh, we had wrote a paper that um, to help our clients and investors to uh, better understand how they should be evaluating their investment results so i thought we could go through some of that sounds great what do you think it's probably a good idea all right well before we do that do you want to uh give out our uh Contact information? Sure thing. Uh, we can be reached at contact at empiradio.com or here at the local office at 800-923-4307. And as always, if you're uh, an individual investor, we would certainly love to hear from you. Uh, we're offering a, a, a basically a free portfolio checkup of sorts and would love to walk you through a bit of our uh, retirement planning programs and get to know you a little bit. So if you're interested in pursuing that, please give us a call. And also, if you're an advisor out there looking to partner up with a a very well-established local firm that will help provide you with the, not just the back office support, but a lot of the research that goes into the the investments, 
uh, giving you the, the, the time to focus on building your business and, and helping clients. We'd love to hear from you as well. Again, our number is 800-923-4307. You can email us um, for the radio program if you have questions or you want to get a book or schedule an appointment. Uh, you can send us an email through contact at empiradio.com or feel free to email me directly, ksmith at empiricalfsfranksam.com. Sounds good. Okay. Uh, Ethan, let's jump into this mail segment here. Let's do it. You've got mail. Hand me the mail bag over there. It's behind Simon's desk. Simon, you got that mail bag? Well, let's see what's in the mail. I didn't realize we're getting so many letters. That's a big bag. We got a lot of listeners on this program. That's amazing. We're really changing the way investment advice is delivered here. Wow. Um through a variety of sound effects and, um, and <laughs> jokes. a variety of sound effects. <laughs> I love it. Uh, All righty. Well, Ethan, I thought it would be an interesting opportunity. We have the chance to meet with a lot of investors. Um, True. Been in the industry for quite some time, and mm-hmm. we get a lot of questions, and I've been working with a person um, who is who's considering hiring Empirical as their financial advisor. Mm-hmm. And uh, reminded me of some of the questions that, that we get. Um, and I thought maybe I'd present these questions to you and uh, see what, what you can do with them. All right. All right. Well, thanks for putting me on the spot. We'll give it a try. So, you know, one of the questions um, that I get, I think, commonly is this issue of when you're working with uh, an advisor that um, has a, a discretionary uh, authority on the account and how that works, and this idea of am I, am I losing control or giving up control? Mm, right. Um, and I think there are certain environments where you certainly would not want to do so, and other environments like the one in which we help clients where uh, we think we're actually helping our clients gain control. But I'll let you take that, that yeah. question about you know, what, is, what is the extent of our discretionary authority as a financial advisor, and how is that a positive, if any, to our clients? Mm-hmm. Well, in terms of our, the way we work with clients, um, the limited power of attorney uh, on on a particular investment account. So our clients actually custody assets at Charles Schwab most of the time. Mm-hmm. So we, we are not a custodian. We're simply an, an advisor that gets connected to an existing Schwab account. And we have a very limited authority with, within that specific account. Um, so we can do things like trade, trade the account on our client's behalf. Uh, but even that is already done with, with a a predetermined context. So we're not randomly doing things throughout the day or the week or the whatever time period. We decide in advance through a thorough discussion with our clients what it is we're actually going to be doing in that side of, in, inside of that account. So it isn't random. and it's, All of it's very uh, in black and white before you start to work with us. So nothing un, un, uh, unplanned happens with that account. But typically we spend a lot of time um, at no expense to our new clients mm-hmm. developing a retirement plan and investment plan right uh and putting together proposals and and getting to know the client going back and forth through those proposals explaining um and then putting in in writing as you mentioned in, in some an investment plan and an agreed upon um asset allocation target which just states that we will manage within those gre- agreed upon terms exactly um and if we go outside of that we would really need to get together with the client in advance in writing yeah in advance and I think what's unique about this is that there's no 
hidden agenda in the way that we work as an independent registered investment advisor doing fee only or fee-based um, advising and that we don't have products. If you said, hey, I'm going to give discretion to so maybe in a traditional brokerage environment where there are products, whether they're implicit commissions being charged or um, just the nature of trades going through or things that are products that are being or commissions are being paid on, um, handing them a discretion to make those trades on your behalf could be a conflict of interest in my view. <laughs> yeah. Um, Real quick on that. You yeah. Know, that's correct. In the traditional brokerage sense, if you hire a broker, um, that that person is really a registered representative, and they're, they, are, they are representing the firm, not mm-hmm. you. That's a drastic difference between us and, uh, you know, who are registered investment advisors and your typical broker down the street at whatever brokerage firm. That we are, we are have to be fiduciary advisors. We act in fiduciary capacity, and the the broker doesn't have to do that because they are registered representatives that represent the firm. It's just a matter of the way that these um, two different parts of the industry are regulated. Mm-hmm. Our view is we would act in, we would want to act in this way for our clients, regardless of what the industry regulations are. Correct. We typically take those as minimum standards, mm-hmm. and I think historically Wall Street has done the opposite and said, hey, how can we skirt these, you know, minimum protections that are in place for clients instead of enhancing them? Right. And I'm reading a, a, a book that's been around for quite some time, but I never had, I never took the time to read it. I've been reading, read so many investment books. Yeah. And I always kind of um, looked at this book as more of an entertainment type of a book, but it's still industry related and it's called Liar's Poker. Oh, yeah. Uh, Michael Lewis. And I kind of came to my mind as Mike, one of our advisors, had it sitting in his office and he just published another uh, book. I think it's something to do with the financial crisis. I forgot what the name of it is. Is it Powder Keg or something like that? Um, I don't think so. This is a different one. You can right. look it up. But this one's called Liar's Poker. I think it was written in 89. And it really, uh, basically, he started at Solomon uh, Brothers, mm-hmm. um, you know, right out of college. Didn't even have a degree in finance, I believe, but knew some people and wound up getting a job. It was pretty difficult to get a job at Solomon Brothers. And he basically document, documents his, his exploits there. And uh, it is just an amazing eye-opener um, what goes on in these Wall Street firms. And I can't confirm or deny, um, you know, what, what he's saying in this book. I mean, hopefully he's being truthful and documented. But if he is, the last thing on the mind of, of the brokers uh, that he talks about and and the firm as mm-hmm. a whole is doing what was right for the client. It was actually um, providing, and he says openly in the book, hey, you know, we were the biggest legalized casino uh, in the world, and we were helping our clients lose money left and right. But as long as we were making money, mm-hmm. you know, everybody was fine. And he goes into a lot of detail about how, you know, they would take inventory in various positions of bonds um, and, you know, when they when there was potential for them to take a loss, they would they would incent their sales guys to get this stuff off the books and out to the clients, even when they knew it was garbage. Wow! So um, I, I would recommend you read that book and and yeah, garbage exactly. <laughs> I I would recommend that you read that book. I mean, it's a real. I I am still baffled, Ethan, um, when you look at the history of these big investment banking firms or brokerage houses or even banks or trust institutions and how much bad stuff they have done to the individual investor. 
still exist. Exist. <laughs> People and have clients. Thrive and manage <laughs> billions and trillions of dollars. Blows my mind too. It. I just. I don't understand why. Um, and I guess maybe Ethan, it's the same reason that casinos. Um, and I was just looking this data up recently for some other reason. But I, I think over the last decade, they said that the, the amount of money lost um, in casinos is, is uh, expanded like tenfold. Um, and so why why they are now, and maybe there's been a slowdown in the last couple of years in the financial crisis because people don't have jobs. Um, it's been a little harder to, to put put money they don't have at at risk. But overall, it's particularly online gaming um, when everyone should know uh, the odds are greatly stacked against them. Right. Yet they, the, the casino industry and the gambling industry continues to grow and thrive. And I, I think it's that same um, basic uh, psychological um, flaw or, or desire to gamble um, or the euphoria that it brings of the notion of getting quick, rich, and that feeling that drives people to do this stuff. And it's the same thing at these investment bankers. They... They tell investors that, hey, we can beat the market. We can turn you into a millionaire. They must be telling them something that even as they're they're getting abused time in and time out, they continue to stay there. Or they just don't know. Right. Yeah, they, we tend to have a pretty short-term memory with all that stuff, it seems like. Otherwise, they wouldn't exist. Fortunately, I do see the trend, and you have you and I both have over our careers where where this model that we work in – um, has increased in popularity, and some of the brokerage firms have begun to lose that grip on the investor. Right. Um, I mean, they were originally the only game in town, and you had firms like Schwab who came out and said, hey, we're going to reduce fees. We're not going to pay our guys' commission, mm-hmm. uh, at least originally. Um, and uh, so you see some of, the, some of this changing. There's a couple more questions, Ethan. We've got to take a quick break, and then we'll get back into the mailbag here before we get to uh, our other segment. Sounds great. We'll be right back. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. 
The incidence of autism has increased at an alarming rate. Approximately 1 in 150 children are affected by autism, giving autism the undesired ranking as the most prevalent childhood developmental disorder in the U.S. 67 children will be diagnosed today. That is nearly one child every 20 minutes. Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica, hosted by Terry Aranga, illuminates how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Autism is treatable and given appropriate therapies, children are recovering. With well-known researchers and doctors, members of Congress, and expert service providers from a wide range of disciplines, Terry offers interviews and insights highlighting the progress in areas related to autism spectrum disorders such as biomedical research and treatment, communication, education, and behavioral modalities, sociological and philosophical issues, and legislative advocacy and insurance concerns. Autism One, a conversation of hope, broadcasts each Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Autism One, a conversation of hope. Through education and conversation, there is hope. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basili is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday. Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basili. Radio to thrive by. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. We're in the mailbag segment. We are talking about questions of control. Ethan and I are trying to dissect and um, crystallize and illuminate some views on uh, this issue of control as an investor and engaging advice. So we were talking about discretionary authority, Ethan. Yeah, right. Um, how it means, uh, in our view, if with the right coupled with the right advisor and the right system, yeah, um, it it means more control. A lot of a lot of individuals initially because of the Wall Street wreckage, right, um, have been burned, um, and they're very and rightly so cautious about this yeah. idea of control. I think it's important to to note that if the person you're working with, the advisor you're working with, does have discretion. In my view, they should not get paid a single nickel from any of the things they actually recommend. It should be a fee-based or you know fee-only type of advisor situation where the things they're recommending, they're not getting any compensation from, you know, deriving income from what products they recommend. That's that's an important part of what I think is a successful relationship, potentially a successful relationship with a discretionary type of advisor. Right, right. The person. So when we get down to the portfolio level, is the whether the the individual or the company. Mm-hmm. Are they receiving any kind of remuneration from the investments um, that are in that portfolio? 
and whether it's the, the advisor or the person giving the advice or the firm, are there different levels of payouts depending upon what right. those investments are? Yes, exactly. Um, or in our case, we receive absolutely nothing from the custodian that we work with or from any of the investments that we choose. We receive 100% of our compensation from the client based on the pre-agreed upon um, rate, which will, I want to get to is question number two is how, how an advisor like us is paid and how that fares relative to the industry. Right. Um, yeah, I think. But it, on the control issue, go ahead. I was just going to say, by having it done that way, particularly in a, in a discretionary environment like we are, we're registered investment advisors, we have discretion, um, it reduces or eliminates any of the sort of, you know, possible conflicts of interest that exist out there in, in the industry. That, that severs the core, as it were, to a lot of the, the, the conflicts of interest that exist out there. It's definitely a step. I wouldn't say that that's the only um, criteria in which I would make my decision on. Sure. But it would be one that would eliminate a very large number of institutions mm-hmm. that I would choose to seek um, any kind of an investment advice uh, relationship with. So we were talking about liar, Liar's Poker. The book, um, by the way, Ethan, I looked it up during the break, Was it's called uh, The Big Short. Right. Michael. I haven't read it yet, but if it's anything like what I'm reading in Liar's Poker, uh, I'm sure it has to do with Wall Street greed and some of the unscrupulous things these guys are doing behind the scenes that, that led to um, these bad loans being packaged and sold to unwary in, investors. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, which is pretty much usually that what, what's gone on over there. <laughs> right. Um, and when we're talking about these institutions, I mean, a lot of these, if I don't want to name names, but um, within a few questions, you could get to the bottom of it. And I, I don't know that I would even rely on the question um, of asking the low-level person at the, the local office. I would take it a little deeper to make sure that I understand um, the answers to my questions, which are, hey, is this firm, are these investments paying anything back to the firm that I'm working with and where I'm housing my, my assets and receiving the advice. Mm-hmm. So you may ask a question like, are you receiving a commission? And maybe the person on the ground level, the advisor isn't. That doesn't mean the firm's not. And you had made a reference to the menu on the break. I'd love to hear. Yeah, before. Um, yeah. It's interesting. You know, we, sometimes it's a, there's an objection for a, a, a potential client when asking questions about should they work with us or not. And the idea of this control issue where, and there are other environments that really that it's more of an illusion of control. Like our view is that we go through such a thorough process of understanding what our clients are looking for, and then are scouring the investment universe for the for the products or the investments that we recommend. Um, that and that's the very last thing we actually do. You know, a lot of times it's hey, we'll just pick stocks. That's the very first thing that's done a lot of times when you're talking with an investment professional. That's actually the last step in our process. But getting back to this menu idea, you know, when you're talking to an advisor and they present you, in a non-discretionary relationship, a menu of options to choose from. Who do you, ask yourself this. Who is constructing that menu that you're selecting from? All right. Is it, is it the person that you're meeting with, or is it the firm that that person works for? Well, most likely, yes. And you can be sure that that, that, that has gone through some type of, um, I don't know. Screening uh, process. Yeah, screening process to get that menu produced, from which you are then choosing. You're not choosing from an open menu of, of unlimited options here. In that, that situation. And in that situation, who actually has the control? You making the, the final cho- choice between large cap fund A or large cap fund B, or the person who's presenting those two as an option? And our last word on, on control, because I agree with you completely, Ethan, with that um, menu analogy, uh, is this notion of, well, you know, 
the level at which we take the client through understanding the investment philosophy and the education part of it, which enhances control. The more you know your market history, the more c control you actually have right. when you're making decisions. If you're making decisions out of ignorance, and it would be the equivalent of driving a car with the blindfold on, are you... You know, you you may be in control in that you're the one holding the steering wheel. Right. But are you really in control when you're wearing a blindfold behind the wheel? Are you control of the outcome on that? No, of course not. Right? It's, it's no, most of us wouldn't think that's the kind of control we want. If you get there safely, it's really um, just a random chance in that right. that respect. So, my point on that is, the the things that we put into place, for example, regular reporting, um, in the way we build our statements, for example, and show the different types of investments in the proper and appropriate categories and actually track the, the investment returns. And then we produce additional documents that show the different ways of breaking down the portfolios and dissecting out the returns. When I get brokerage statements um, from investors that have come historically, it's very hard to figure out, A, what the fees are. So we, we separate <laughs> and produce a management fee report each quarter that shows you exactly how the fee was calculated and what it was, right. and then a year-end fee because our, our fees are potentially tax-deductible. Right. Um, so we use that as well for not only disclosure purposes, but for them to be able to produce with their accountant to, to get the deduction. Mm -hmm. But when you have those statements very clearly, I've had a very difficult time as a professional figuring out in, in most of the, the banks or brokerage firms that, that produce statements, A, what's a client paying? How's the person getting paid? Why were these funds selected? Very hard time tracking any kind of written recommendation or policy statement from any of these guys that mm -hmm. justify with any kind of third-party academic evidence or you know investment research as to why they own the stuff they own. Right. And then it's very difficult to find out how they've actually performed, particularly relative to any kind of an appropriate benchmark. Yeah, and it's then, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And the last thing I, uh, of the three things, the two things you mentioned, I'd add one more. I don't know how, the, how what the allocation ever hardly is. It's it's very difficult to know what allocate like how much stocks to bonds you have, how much international to U.S. they have. It's, imp it's almost impossible to figure this stuff out. It certainly, it's not available at a glance. It really takes a lot of work to to go through and dig through the statements and then run your own spreadsheet and all the allocate. It's just a pain in the neck. I think what's what's happened in a lot of cases is that. Um, where people do get some information about Wall Street, traditional Wall Street firms, you know, basically abusing and 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 uh, fleecing investors, and then they wind up kind of uh, kind of curling up into the fetal position and, and going, "Well, I'll do it myself," not being real and true to the the issues that we talked about. Mm -hmm. Do you have the time? Do you have the knowledge? Do you have the training right. know, to do this? Do you have the discipline to do it? So the, the answer is not to sit there and then move your account to a Schwab or TD or one of these places and then just randomly pick a few things. Um, that, not, that's not less that. control, and I'm st we we're still on the control. Right. And I'd like you to expand on that a little bit about, well, is it control when you're doing it yourself when you never look at the portfolio um, or you don't know right. why you own the things? Or you can't tell us how often do we meet with people and we say, well, what was your return? How many, how many individuals that are doing it even know? If they are beating or capturing our benchmark, we know what the studies on them show that they've significantly underperformed mm -hmm. for the last 20, 20 years. I think most people discount that as, well, that's not really me. You know, I'm, I'm not the average investor. Probably. You, it's just as possible that you're the under average investor as the over, over average investor, right? Right. So, I mean, it is the average for a reason. And we've talked about this before, this, this tendency for all of us as individuals to overestimate our own, own abilities. 
um, with most anything, and, and that also goes uh, with with investing. Um, I think studies show that on average, people who have a tendency to overestimate their own returns if they're doing it themselves by about four percent per year, which is an enormous difference. Oh, a huge bias, huge overconfidence bias. And right. I'm not getting just S and P returns. I'm getting S and P plus four percent when they're not. When they're not. And so you got to be realistic because in the end, it's your retirement, right? It, it, you can tell everybody you're making those returns, but when you're when you're standing in the food line. Um, in retirement, I mean, that doesn't do you a lot of good. Right. Um, and it is these a few critical market, um, pivotal market times when investors do make the largest mistakes that they need an advisor the most. Um, the yeah, key well, is that they need somebody who um, is going to do right by them. And so we were saying, okay, that answers the control issue. We, I think we've clearly delineated and shown that working with the right person in this capacity actually enhances, significantly enhances control because we know what the risk is we're taking in most cases. We know, help them get control and establish what goals they're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. You, get, you gain better control over, over actual outcome of your investment experience by having a disciplined, prudent approach um, implemented with you. So I want to talk a little bit about so you we, by by eliminating um, this idea of compensation for um, the advisor that you were saying we, we were saying that gets rid of a lot of advisors that you would choose from. Yeah, it narrows um, the menu significantly. That then there are some other things that we would want to talk about and maybe on a future show um, as to well then now how do I start to filter down the remaining choices. Um, we gotta we gotta take a break here, Ethan. Okay. Let's take a quick break. I've got a couple more questions, and then I do want to get into this evaluating investment results. Sounds great. Information. All right, we'll be right back. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor, or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Never be satisfied. Let that be a lesson you take away from Double Time with Double D, featuring businessman and former NFL star Dave Duerson. We'll talk about the NFL with special focuses on the game itself, and Double D will take your calls and answer your emails live on the show. It's not Football 101, but rather an in-depth look in the locker room, on the field, away from the field, and opening up the mind of the player. The program will also feature positive messages. So tune in to Double Time with Double D, Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. 
There's a course offered on 7th Wave Network that you never saw offered in college. One that provides information on how to transform ancient wisdom teachings into everyday life. You'll learn how to create from your spirit and explore the world with all of your senses. Participation is encouraged. Enroll in Spirituality 101, the course you can't afford to miss with your host, Reverend Norma. Class is in session every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, in your favorite classroom, 7th Wave Network. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, welcome back to Segment 3, Empirical Investing Radio. Ethan? We were talking about, uh, we are in the mailbag, digging around in there, scratching around. I love the mailbag. And um, yeah, it's a good good segment. I, I can tell that you've got a lot of enthusiasm and um, a lot of passion in your voice. Right. When we talk about this. I think I should be in control of the sound effects. Why, do you hear any? No, that's, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I, I should oh. get some going here. Yeah, well, I'm not stopping you, <laughs> to, to be frank. Simon, I'm, I need my own sound effects to combat his sound effects. Yeah. So... Just while we were we were on the break, um, Ethan was doing some calisthenics to get pumped up, jumping jacks, jumping jacks, and the such, so forth. Um, I'm also on my third Coke Zero of the day. Yeah, well, you got to keep charged. This is, I caught him in the in the break room. <laughs> Warming up. Okay, <laughs> very good. Um, so what we, we let's do one more question, can Ethan. We, can we get serious for a second? Okay, <laughs> let's do one more question. Okay, and um, we addressed. I think we flogged that horse about uh, the control issue and the discretionary. Right, you know, working. It's okay to work in a discretionary environment under the right circumstances. Correct. Um, and in in a lot of cases, we believe that enhances control for most individuals. Yeah. Um, yeah, again, getting the, uh, you know, gaining control of the actual outcome of your investment, you know, road. Right. That's an important part, and I think uh, this this situation in which we work is, is pretty attuned to that. So another question that comes up um, is the, 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 the matter of fees. Yeah. And the costs involved and how we structure things uh, and how that may be different than other cost um, structures. Mm-hmm. So you know how how do what are the costs and in get involved in uh, working with empirical and uh, and the investments running a portfolio of investments for our clients? Yeah, well, the, the, again, the way that we're compensated as uh, as advisors is we are we charge a, a percentage of the assets under management typically, and typically that's one percent on the first million dollars or so, and then tears down after that. Um, we initially came to that kind of arrangement um, uh, based on, in, in part anyway, that we wanted to provide a service that's comprehensive, but yet costs no more than the average mutual fund. Right. And that's in essence what we have. Uh, 
you know, if you look at the at the cost of an average fund out there, you're looking depending on the asset class, you're looking probably between one and one and a half percent okay. annual management fee, and that is simply just to, to run the mutual fund of the of the average fund. So, in our case, the the, the the complete cost, our cost on top of the funds that we use, is about the same, but in our view, you get a lot more for the money. So, you know, we with us, we believe that. Um, and this is another common question. We believe that diversified funds are the best approach um, married with a professional advisor. So this idea that well if I hire an advisor, should they be they should be pick should they be picking stocks? Um, because I aren't I paying two sets of fees? Right. Um, In my view is it my view is this if you it's a different question. If you're you know owning individual stocks simply to avoid the, the fee, uh, you're avoiding it for the wrong reasons. You're going to pay a lot more probably in terms of performance or unpleasant surprises when perhaps the stock you own turns up being, you know, an Enron or, you know, uh, Washington Mutual or something of that sort. If you if you don't think diversification is key, we, we need to have a different discussion. Diversification is key to anybody's investment success. Right. It, it may not be what got you wealthy, but it's going to be what keeps you wealthy. Right. So... Um, assuming we can overcome the diversification thing of, of hey, I, I'm just going to own my 10 stocks and I'm going to call that good and not pay any fees. Well, that's okay, except you're taking on way more risk than you probably realize. Right. And it's only if you're lucky that you won't actually, uh, that risk won't manifest, it's manifest itself during your investment lifetime. There's a cost and there's a difference, you know, between looking at implicit costs or, you know, stated costs and other types of costs when sure. running a portfolio. and. If you own one stock and you don't hire a financial advisor, engage them. Um, any cost is associated with that, other than if there's a fee to keep it at the custodian, right? Right. But most most of the time, not if you have a reasonable amount. But the cost you're really dealing with is the risk that will appear ultimately. And you, you describe that as if it, if you owned Enron or Washington Mutual stock for local listeners here in mm-hmm. Seattle. Um, and you, you said, geez, I, I'm beating the market for a period of time in those stocks. Several years. Right. And not only that, but I'm so smart that I'm not even paying anybody to give me advice or diversify out my portfolio. Right. The cost sometimes is back-end loaded in the uh, the blow-up, right? Mm-hmm. So it, there is a cost you're paying, whether it's missed opportunity. Yeah, that's what I was going to say next. Because certain asset classes are doing very well that that you're not participating in. So even in times when Enron or Washington Mutual were doing better than, say, the general U.S. stock market, some of the asset classes we owned uh, did significantly better. And last year being an example, we were talking about the micro cap was up 30-plus percent, over double what the S&P did, mm-hmm. right? So we didn't, we didn't have to own one stock, right, to take the risk of that to double the return of the S&P last year. Right. Uh, or at least have some component of our portfolio that did double that return. Mm-hmm. But yet, the, that that fund owns over a thousand different stocks in it. Right. So there's a there's the opportunity cost, and don't fool yourself that you're not missing it if you only have a handful of individual stocks. And then there's the the diversification cost, the cost of hey, I'm not paying fees, and I may not pay them for several years, and then suddenly I lose everything. Although I paid them, how 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 many lifetimes of fees did you pay when you lost everything? <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, I, I, I sometimes uh, view this fee discussion in, in summary like, kind of like this. I say that 
good advice is not usually free, but bad advice always costs more. Hmm. You know, Simmer on that. That's the way it's going to work. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was just looking for the... We had a sheet that kind of showed some of the... Oh, here it is. The average um, mutual fund expenses, Ethan. Just jumping back. If yeah. Our management fee, unlike a mutual fund manager, most um, other product managers that are out there on the shelf like that, like an ETF or a mutual fund, it does decline as the larger the portfolio gets. Um, so it's the highest point of it is around 1% or so, and then it <clears throat> tears down the more money that we manage, right? which is a benefit uh, of, course. of having more, more assets with. But the average mutual fund expense, for example, in the U.S. large category, which is the most inexpensive if we were just taking Morningstar's database and saying, hey, what's the average no-load mutual fund expense? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about 1.26. Right. And then as you get into emerging markets, it's about one po- the average across all the funds in the Morningstar database is 1.78. And, the, um, Ken, you're getting this information from one of our uh, investment policy statement documents. This is something that we actually give to clients through the course of working with us, a uh, description of the, the asset class category expenses for these various types of investments. You are correct, sir. Of course I'm right. <laughs> if you blended it in one of our, our model portfolios, kind of our, we call it our targeted premium three, um, the blended <coughs> expense ratio for each of these categories, the average no-load mutual fund in the database would, would cost you about 1.44% to build our asset class portfolio. The funds we're utilizing, the average expense for the blended of the portfolio is 0.38. So when you manage, you add our fee for all the things that we do as an advisor to the expense of the funds we're using, it's lower lower. than the average mutual fund expense. If you were just buying a fund, which gives you no advice and does not give you any help in terms of building an asset allocation. Right. It's just a a series of funds. So... I think the cost is important. It, it needs to be um, out there. There are other firms or programs, and particularly we were talking about the a lot of the brokerage platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, we were saying how the investors have had a history of being fleeced in these in these platforms. Ethan, where, who got these guys in? Um, hey, shut that door, will you? So <laughs> we're outside right now. Um, and and a lot of times we run into this this scenario where our because we are so open about explaining our piece because we think it is a great opportunity. Um, other programs are burying them in a variety of ways. You can't it looks, find it. Yeah, you can't find it. So they they're led to believe the person's led to believe they're they're not paying it. Right. Do you want to elaborate on that, or is that, <laughs> is that an upset? I can guarantee okay. in any situation nobody nobody. Providing advice is working for free, and if they're not telling you up front what it is, it's probably more than you think. <laughs> All right, I, I can say that's probably per- the, the the way well, it works. Well, yeah, I just think that they need to know. Everyone should know that um, if they if you walk into one of the local banks or brokerage firms that's in your neighborhood, there's a lot of them out there, mm-hmm. and they say, "Hey, what, what's the commission going to be on this particular item?" And they say, "Well, there is no commission. Um, uh, there there are usually." a load or an expense ratio that's extremely high of which the firm and the broker is being compensated. Typically, yeah. Um, sometimes that's occurring in conjunction with a management fee. Mm-hmm. 
um, where they're charging, hey, we'll, we'll charge you a flat management fee just like Empirical does. But because they're associated with a broker-dealer, they're also, the firm is also pulling in money somehow on the investments or margining mm-hmm. your account or whatever it is. And uh, one last thing on the on the fee. If you were going to pay, you know, one, 1.4% to have somebody work with you on the total or, or do it yourself, um, let's say you had a half million dollar portfolio and that's the, the breakdown of the expense. By working with us and the way we structure our fees, uh, you know, the full 1%, that's tax deductible if it's taken from a taxable account. So it's potentially itemized. Uh, you can itemize that on your, Which your tax return. Which you can't return. do. Yeah, I mean, subject to some... Yeah, there's some rules and limitations, but... Yeah. We um, certainly don't have that opportunity at all in any meaningful we, we got to take a quick break, Ethan, and then we'll come back to the last... Sounds good. ...discussion on this. We'll be right back. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor, or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Spin It with Chuck Foreman has a spin on so much that's going on. It will be hard to fit it all into the promo. We'll talk about the weekend games, what to look forward to, hot topics in the news. Spin It Old School, which gives a back-in-the-day approach from Chuck. A no-spin zone where Chuck gives an unbiased opinion and lets you do the same. Chuck will be taking us around town and around the world with news, happenings, and more. It's football, news, and happenings. Tune in for Spin It with Chuck Foreman. Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. 
You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, welcome back to the show. We are going to move into a discussion about evaluating your investment results. I think that uh, we put a paper out here. You can go to our website, EmpiricalFS, that's E-M-P-I, um, E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S for financialservices.com. Go to the resource section. There's papers. Um, this one's called Evaluating Investment Results. And Ethan, I think too many people do not understand how they should be evaluating their portfolios. So a lot of mistakes are made. And those mistakes are, are, are evidenced in following the cash flows on Wall Street. And an example of that, Ethan, yeah. is that uh, we, in this paper we put... But we track the cash flows going in and out of equity uh, mutual funds. And then if you look at 2009, the fourth quarter, I'm sorry, 1999, let's go back okay. a decade. Uh, 1999, quarter four. Um, it's a Seahawks, one yard. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, in, in the fourth quarter of 1999, 60, over $60 billion uh, flooded into equity mutual funds. Um in the fourth quarter of 2008, keep in mind that the, bo- the market bottomed in March of 2009, right? So it was, this, it was the next quarter. The very next quarter. Okay. But in qu- fourth quarter of 2008, uh, $114, this is unprecedented, $114 billion flooded out of equity mutual funds. So at the very, mar- I mean, as close as you could possibly get to the market bottom, um, in terms of the, the preceding quarter, was the greatest amount of outflow throughout the whole decline. Right. Um, and, the, and this was the largest amount of single quarter inflow in 1999, was at the very last quarter of the bull market before the bubble. So we know that's true. There's no denying that, um, that money, people are making evaluations, and I think it relates back to how they're evaluating their performance, Ethan. So let's go through this. Let's you do ready? it. Yeah, I'm ready. We don't have a lot of time. So I'm going to talk a little fast. Try to stay with me, my I'll man. I'll see if I can keep up. All right. I know you can. So we talk about a couple of things. We break this down, um, and we say, well, you know, when you're looking at evaluating performance, it's important to start, first of all, in understanding uh, that you need to make an apples-to-apples comparison, right? So mm-hmm. understanding that stocks and bonds or CDs are not substitutes for one another, and so that they're not at least perfect substitutes um, for one another, and you wouldn't evaluate them. So sometimes investors go, well, last year uh, when we were in a down market, they said I could have had my money in a CD and I, and I could have earned X percent. Right. Instead, I lost, you know, and if it was during the market downturn, I mean, our, an all-equity portfolio from peak to bottom could have lost between 40 and 50 percent, depending on how you diversified it. Uh-huh. Is it appropriate to take a one-year period of time, which is a very extreme event in, in market history, and say, well, my investments failed me. I, I had an all-equity portfolio, and I lost 45% of my value from peak to bottom, right? Right. Um, and I could have been in a CD. So therefore, I'm going to go ahead and get out of my stocks and switch to a CD because that's doing better right now than the stock market is. Right. Well, we would say, no, you're, you're not comparing apples to oranges. Or not, not apples to apples, you mean? 
<laughs> exactly, apples to apples. We are, I, you, are, my, my you, are, you are comparing apples to oranges in this case. <laughs> exactly. And what you want to do is, is compare apples to apples. Exactly. <laughs> and then, not only do you want to compare apples to apples, but you want to compare the same variety of apples to apples. So a Granny Smith to a Granny Smith. Oh, yeah. Um, which is my grandma. Bra- Brayburn to a Brayburn. Exactly. A Fuji to a Fuji. So what that means is, okay... How's my portfolio invested? And so in our case, we build our portfolios under the premise of 50 years plus of modern portfolio theory and the science and research that says, hey, we should probably own a globally diversified portfolio that includes things like REITs, maybe a little commodities, but then also emerging markets, international markets, U.S. markets, large, small, all these different kinds of stocks. So is it appropriate to compare a globally diversified portfolio like that to any one single index like say the S&P 500 or whatever you choose to pick. Well, no, we, we may be dealing with stocks, but the S&P 500 diversified portfolios uh, is not the exact or appropriate portfolio to benchmark against. Um, you would want to have some form of a globally diversified index. There's an Acqui All World Index that we kind of use mm-hmm. on occasion. But you'd want to make sure that, hey, if I own a small company index, I'm not comparing the returns of that over a one-year period of time to a large company index like the Dow Jones or the S&P 500, and then making an investment decision to sell my small company stocks because the previous year, now in this case, right, in the the decline, small companies, I think, got hit a little harder than the large companies. That's correct. What that decision would have led you to do is you would have been out of small caps last year when we just said that small companies did 30 plus percent and the S&P did 15. Right. I, I think it's okay to do those things comparisons for context purposes, but they should not right. th- that alone should not be any reason to change your allocation. And those are not not reasonable ways of looking at it. Now secondly, well, if, reasonable and if you're if you're if you're if you want to get the most out of your investments. Right. If your objective is otherwise then that may be something different. Well, if but your objective is to always be uh, selling at the low point yes, and buying exactly. at the high point, do do that. Exactly you know, right. Do what we're talking about. Buy CDs after the market's gone down, thinking that those are relative right. comparisons. Exactly. For one. Yeah. I'm with you, my man. So the other thing is understanding um, the fact that over different time periods, different types of investments should be benchmarked relative to their historical norms and over those time periods. And so where a lot of investors make big mistakes, Ethan, are mm-hmm. in any single year, the S&P has the potential to go up significantly or go down significantly. And historically speaking, we've had a range in any 12-month period, if we took a 12-month cycle one year, of the S&P going up up to 163% in one year or declining up to almost 70%, 68% in any one year. Wow. Uh, if you said, where do 50% of the outcomes tend to fall? If we excluded the top 25% and the bottom 25 you get a little bit more narrow range, but it's around 25 to uh, a negative 5 10% range. Mm-hmm. Now, as you extend the, your t- holding time horizon, that range of very top to bottom significantly uh, shrinks or contracts to the fact where when you get out to 30-year periods of time, you don't have any negative 30-year periods of time. Right. Of, of, and we're just dealing with the S&P, right? Mm-hmm. And the range of returns was significantly smaller. Um, it was you know, somewhere in between a, a positive 5 and a positive kind of 15% range of returns. 
Uh, I'm just looking at the graph here in my paper. I didn't list out the exact numbers. Right. Uh, pull it down, though, and you'll see it. Uh, as you go from one year to five, the range gets narrower, and then 10 years it's narrower, and 20 all the way to 30. So what that means is that if I'm investing for uh, a long period of time, and we don't believe you should have a, a, a significant allocation of stocks if you don't have a long period of time. If I am, that means that if in any one year... I can't use the long-term average rate of return as the benchmark. The S&P did 10%, and I don't get 10% in a one-year time horizon, but then I abandon the strategy. You're, you're, you're doing it. Yeah, you have very unrealistic yeah. expectations. Ethan, unfortunately, I, I think we should start next show with this because uh, I had a lot more to say. Yeah. I know you did. Exactly. Um, but we're out of time. This is good stuff. We'll see you next week. Take care. And, uh, take care. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you next week. The advice given on this show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended as investment advice. Please consult a financial advisor before undertaking any investment decisions. While the show's producers have tried to provide accurate and timely information and have relied on sources they believe to be reliable, the show may include inadvertent technical or factual inaccuracies. Ken Smith and Ethan Broga do not warrant the accuracy or completeness of the materials provided and expressly disclaim any warranties or merchantability or fitness for a particular purpose. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.